Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to probe Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We're asking some fundamental questions about the Christian faith. We wonder if you've ever stopped to ask yourself the question, what is the Christian Gospel? What did Jesus challenge his audiences to believe as the Gospel or Good News? What did Jesus mean by the phrase so often found on his lips, the kingdom of God? When did you last hear a preacher or evangelist invite us to repent and believe in the gospel about the kingdom, as Jesus invited his audiences to do in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15? And remember that those verses in Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15, summarize the entirety of the ministry of Jesus. They sum up. In other words, the entire Christian faith. We've been surveying a number of basic texts having to do with the kingdom of God and the gospel as recorded by Matthew. We call your attention now to the famous parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. In that parable, Jesus made a clear distinction between his disciples and those who are not following him. The disciples were the privileged group to them had been revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And there's no difference, of course, in meaning between those two phrases. But to those who showed no interest in Jesus' mission, they were outside of the secrets of God's plan, his kingdom plan for the future of the world. The gift of understanding and knowledge was obviously of paramount importance in Jesus' teaching. He described those who followed his teaching as those who had received a divine gift from heaven and had been privileged to know God's secret counsel for the world, God's agenda, God's grand scheme for saving individuals and the world as a whole. The disciples, according to Jesus, were the in-group, so to speak, while those who showed little interest or understanding of Jesus' kingdom message remained in darkness about what God was working out by way of his purpose here on the earth. Jesus, in fact, said that he spoke to the crowds in parables in such a way that they didn't really follow what he was saying. It was only if one had a dedicated heart to know and understand, only if one was a hundred percent intent upon knowing what Jesus was about, that the parables would make any real sense. Oh, certainly people would get some idea of what Jesus was saying by listening to the parables, but unless they were that privileged inside group who followed the teaching of Jesus diligently and thoroughly, there was no hope of a clear understanding coming to them. And so, what was Jesus saying in this famous parable of the sower, or rather the parable of the seeds or the soil? Well, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, Jesus says this, When anyone hears the message or gospel or word, about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the devil comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. And this person then in the parable represents the one who is sown by the road. Now one doesn't have to be an expert in farming to understand that seed which fell by the wayside simply did not have enough depth of soil to produce fruit and grow successfully. Now, this 19th verse of chapter 13 of Matthew is crucially important in our understanding of the Christian faith and the Christian gospel. 
Jesus says here that understanding the message about the kingdom is a precondition for successful growth as a Christian. In fact, it has to do with initiation into the Christian program. When anyone hears the message or word or gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 13:19, Jesus says, and does not understand it, the evil one or the devil comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart so that he cannot believe it and be saved. I'm adding that phrase there from Luke 8:12, the parallel verse. And so you see, the gospel of the kingdom, according to Jesus, is like an idea sown in the mind. I have to tell you that the word heart in the Bible does not mean the seat of emotions, as we use the term in the Western world today. It means rather the whole center of personality. Heart in the Bible is often the equivalent of intellect and the power of reason. It is absolutely not something confined to emotions. And so here we have a very clear statement by Jesus that the gospel message of the kingdom must take root in the heart of an individual and in the mind of an individual, and the devil knows how dangerous that is from his point of view, and he's intent on removing that message of the kingdom so that the person may not begin to grow as a seed grows in the ground and produces fruit, which will eventually bring him into the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. That 19th verse of Matthew 13 is exceedingly illuminating. It tells us that the condition of becoming a Christian is the intelligent reception of what Jesus called the word about the kingdom. It's a verse we will be returning to often, and it's instructive at this point also to make contact with the parallel verse in Luke's account of the same parable of the sower. In Luke 8, verse 12, Luke has recorded an extra piece of information from Jesus which illuminates even further this extraordinarily fascinating statement of Jesus in Matthew 13, verse 19. In Luke 8, 12, Jesus said that when anyone hears the word or the message, that's to say the message of the kingdom, as we learned in Matthew 13, 19, then, Jesus went on, the devil comes and takes away that word that is sown in his heart, so that he cannot believe it and be saved. And a quotation from Luke 8:12. Now here we come to a fundamental principle in the teaching of Jesus. It's simply this, that the sowing of the message of the kingdom in the heart is what initiates the Christian life. Now the devil is fully aware of this fact more aware, I might add, than perhaps some believers today who seem not to take much notice of what Jesus has to say about salvation. But the devil knows that salvation is predicated on an intelligent reception of the message about the kingdom. And so Luke adds that the devil is ready and waiting to snatch away the message of the kingdom or the message of God so that, as Jesus said, the person may not believe it and be saved. So the reception of the message of the kingdom, then, is directly related in the mind of Jesus to salvation itself. And Luke 8 and verse 12 tells us that, in a few very well-chosen words, an encapsulation, if you like, of the whole program of salvation. We really feel that Luke 8:12 and Matthew 13, 19, 
should be fridge verses, along with those other good verses that you pin on your fridge. We should have Matthew 13:19 and Luke 8, verse 12, as a key to the messianic understanding of Jesus and the whole program of salvation which he came to announce on God's behalf. Now, Jesus then goes on to say that the word of the kingdom receives a varied reception among different sorts of people. There are some who immediately receive the word with excitement. They are thrilled to know of God's plan for themselves and for the world, but yet they turn out to be shallow. Verse 21 describes shallow believers as having no firm root in themselves, but they are only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arise because of the word, the word of the kingdom, that is, immediately they fall away. Now, a most important principle is contained in this verse and in the parallel in Luke 8. Luke puts it this way in his account of the same words of Jesus. He says, Those beside the road are those who have heard, that's to say they've heard the gospel of the kingdom, and the devil comes and takes away the word, the word of the kingdom, that is, from their heart, so that they may not believe and be saved. And those on the rocky soil, the ones that Matthew calls shallow, are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but they have no firm root in themselves. They believe for a while, but in time of testing or temptation, they fall away. Now, I think it's quite obvious that here salvation is not a question of being once saved, always saved. It's a matter of beginning the race and continuing the race and going to the finishing line. Luke describes here a category of people who believe for a while. Now, to believe in the vocabulary of Luke and the New Testament generally is the term for being a Christian. That's to say, in verse 13 here of Luke 8, there's a type of person who receives the message with joy initially. They become believers, that's to say they become Christians, but only for a while. But in time of testing, they fall away. And so salvation in the Bible is seen on a continuum. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Not only must one receive the message of the kingdom in a good heart, as the good soil received the good seed, but one must continue with it through testing and trial and various difficulties that we confront in this life. And one must come to the end of the race, and it's only at that point in the teaching of Jesus that one is said to enter the kingdom of God. And to enter the kingdom of God is what one does when Jesus comes back in the future. So, the conversion process is initiated by the reception of the message of the kingdom, and various types of people react in different ways to that message. There's a third category of people here. These are the ones who receive the seed, but there are other distractions that prevent that seed from bearing fruit. And those distractions, in verse 22 of Matthew 13, are the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And these choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So we can see that the word was fruitful initially, in their lives, but because of these other distractions and difficulties encountered by the convert as he moves through life, he ceases to be fruitful. Finally then, there's that wonderfully successful group mentioned in verse 23. These are the people who hear the word of the kingdom and understand it, and based on the reception of that message about the kingdom, 
The gospel message as Jesus brought it, they bear fruit and bring forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. As we continue our examination of the key term kingdom of God in the teaching of Jesus, as recorded by Matthew, we come next to what is perhaps the most familiar of all kingdom verses in the New Testament. It's a verse which appears in the famous Lord's Prayer. Jesus said that we're to pray, Our Father who is in the heavens, may your name be sanctified, and then he says, May your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. May the kingdom of God be established. Jesus asks us to pray so that the will of God may be done on the earth as it's being done in the heavens. Now we note immediately that the kingdom of God is associated with the earth. It has nothing at all to do with any realms beyond the skies. Jesus had no such concept in his mind when he spoke of the kingdom of God. Indeed, Jesus had been reared on the hope of all the Old Testament prophets, and those prophets, without exception, looked forward to the restoration of the kingdom of peace on the earth when the Messiah rules in Jerusalem. That, indeed, is what Jesus had certainly learned from the Hebrew Bible as he sat on his mother Mary's knee and was instructed in the glorious future which God had promised would come to the earth when the Messiah ruled and reigned from Jerusalem across the far reaches of the planet. And so it's important to point out then that the prayer, Thy kingdom come, gives us a clear definition of the future of the kingdom, and that kingdom of God is related not to some distant heaven beyond the stars, but to the earth. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom, and join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.